0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hi, I'm Ahmad Fuad and welcome to Night School, the show that explores key themes in history, the social sciences and the humanities. We critically unpack theories, frameworks and social phenomena, the better to understand how society works. Each week we discuss a classic text theme or an idea that we hope to shed light on the world around you. We're going to talk today about generation crisis, or rather the future that millennials have or don't have. And joining us to do that are two millennials, in fact. Uh, Let me introduce them uh, each. The first is, to my left, Yvonne Tan. You are a third-year Lit student.
1: Yes, and I love avocado toast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you are also one of the people behind Students in Resistance.
1: Yeah, follow us on Facebook.
0: <laughs> which is a progressive zine. And I'm very impressed by the authors you've managed to get on board. You know, you have Theoli Ken, upcoming scholar. You have Zikri Rahman, librarian, Buku jalanan, And you have... Zihao as well, who's an artist, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's very established. Even you know, when you get a copy of Students in Resistance, it looks very DIY, but when you look at the content, it's very, very impressive. So oh, uh, welcome you. to the show. <laughs> to my right is Mistika Idris. Yes. You are a second year IR student yep, at Nottingham. In Nottingham. <laughs> right? Yeah. So both of you are from Nottingham. <laughs> I'm from Nottingham as well, so this is a bit of a promo, I guess. And that's where I feel like I think you two might have a lot to offer in terms of this topic, in that I'm teaching your peers, and every semester I get the sense that I have to always sort of adjust my approach, or adjust my material, and that change is happening so fast. Economic changes, ecological crises, technological changes. And I wonder, what is it like to be young and looking at the future at a time when Frankly, there's a lot of crisis, economic crisis, ecological crisis, the rise of the right wing, political uncertainty, so on and so forth. So that's what we're here to do. But let's start with a basic question. We always hear about complaints that millennials are lazy, entitled. (laughs) They complain a lot. What would be your response to those perceptions?
1: Yeah, so typically the millennials would respond by saying that we are in a different economic situation from the baby boomers and Generation X, and that we didn't enjoy the same privileges as them. And so hence, we tend to feel that we deserve certain entitlements. So yeah.
0: The baby boomers being the post-war generation yeah, that uh, largely began their adulthood, and in our case in Malaysia, for the first time without any colonial powers. So it's a really new world, right? Yeah. And then... Gen X, born in the 80s when capitalism was booming. So there was a lot more hope. Now it's not so the case.
2: Yeah, for me, I feel like right now everything is progressing so quickly and the way that we even get information is so fast and at our fingertips. So I feel that in that way, people seem to think that millennials are, what they say, lazy. But I don't think it's that way. I think it's just the way this generation is constructed. It's because everything is so fast in a way that we are able to move forward so much faster. So when things slow down for a bit, people just generalise it and say like, oh, this group of people are lazy or this group of people are not working hard enough. But in actuality, it's just that everything is progressively moving more quickly than what it used to like move in the past.
0: Yeah, so given that you're more prone to be, well, I don't want to make this sound negative, but demanding in that you're used to knowing things faster, you're used to accessing things a lot simpler, right? Definitely. So coupling that with the economic uncertainty and just the fact that you know how to analyse this uncertainty better, <laughs> your <laughs> demands become more vocal. That to me is interesting in that you do have this access to information that previous generations never had. It's very unprecedented. But I also wonder about the emotional costs of being confronted with that much information like on a daily basis basis, right? And sometimes I just read the news and I get very very upset, you know. Two weeks ago the Javan rhino just got extinct You know, and three weeks before that some other thing got extinct. So granted you have more information but you're also confronted with just a lot more bad news. So what's that like? What's the experience of consuming at that speed like?
2: I think when we consume at such a speed we have to keep reminding ourselves to be critical when we actually receive the news and I I feel like the news that we do receive sometimes for our generation, it feels like we're so desensitized because it's all these issues that come up, such as like the refugee crisis or it's violent issues that are occurring and something that we read on a daily basis and that we get notifications on. Like it's a normal daily basis thing that occurs and we see it on our phones and we just put it away and just lock our phones. So I feel like in some ways, our generation has become desensitized to the crises that occur in the world on a global scale, but in a way that, Allows us not to be naive in the way that we approach issues and the way we approach the world, even.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, um, we get very desensitized and we're just like, oh, you know, it's a day in life, you know, what's new? And also, I think it's very easy to just switch. If you can't deal with the news, you go to Instagram and you just look at pretty pictures <laughs> with girls and just buy, you know, clothes and go online shopping, you feel better about yourself and maybe if you saw something about, you know, the rhino thing and then you go on like change.org and you, you do this selectivism thing and you feel a little bit better about yourself also. So there are ways to cope also with how much information that we have, but I would say that they all contribute to how we get more and more desensitized and it's just it operates in this virtual reality space it's not really actually part of our lives it's kind of Mm -hmm. separate in that sense also
0: yeah Yeah, so it's interesting so the intensity of information then bifurcates right in that you could just feel numb or you could become more critical too because you have no choice but to be critical because the volume of information is just so like vast Right, That to read anything means you got to kind of pause and wonder if it's saying things properly or, and stuff like that. And that brings me to the virtual aspect of how you socialize or how you even exist, right? Like okay. they say that you don't know the real world, in other words, because <laughs> the way you make friends, the way you even fall in love in some cases largely happens online for your generation. What do you say to that? Are you just really just virtual consumers or is this really a new form of socialising, interacting that my generation or the generation before me have to just get with.
2: I just feel like the way we use social media, like such as dating apps like Tinder, I feel like it trivialises the way we view romance or the way we view love, that we approach it online and through virtual, like through screens, like that's how we interact with our friends and how we keep in touch. But the fact remains that that is how it is right now. And it either can be used positively to keep in contact with people from all around the globe and to use it in a positive manner, or it can be used negatively. And I think viewing this is basically a perception of how people see things. And it's all about perspective. If you use something in sort of a very... If you abuse something, it becomes bad. But if you don't abuse it, then it's not bad. And I think that, put simply, is can be...
0: Depends your intention, your objectives, that sort of
2: thing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think one of the biggest things is political correctness with our generation. Mm-hmm. They call us like the generation snowflake <laughs> from, from yeah. Fight Club. And it's because we tend to like nitpick a lot more on social media and we go all SJW on it, and we're like, no, you're not supposed to say he more than she and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, it can be abused, but also it's a great platform to learn about so much more. And we have access to information that you know a lot of people wouldn't have. Writing academic articles is so much easier. <laughs> (laughs) easier than last time (laughs) and doing research and having critical discourses but of course you know it's an open platform to everyone the good and the bad and the gray area also yeah but
0: do you have a life outside of that though I guess that's what I'm asking like or is it veering more and more towards just that I granted you can use these different platforms differently but is it colonizing your entire identity or is that just a misperception?
1: I would say it definitely encourages, but it doesn't like define us in Mm. some sense because, like, you know, at a party, you know, when you put on Snapchat, everyone's like, whoa, you know, and once the Snapchat is off, you know, everyone's like, yeah, you know, the party's not that great after (laughs) all. And then there's like an Instagram picture of like all the girls, and and you're like, no, I know you guys hate each other. (laughs) So it's like, there's this like positive, and it's it's only one dimension of our lives. And we tend to say that, oh no, you know, this is actually all of our lives, you know, that all is good. and we're living yeah. a great life, but actually there's also something darker to that. And yes, I think, you know, in that sense we are kind of colonized. Yeah. And I
2: think it's interesting the way we tend to portray ourselves online. It's something that we want to be and it's a different personality of the way we would be in real life. For example, when people talk differently online and they can say so much because it's an open platform and you don't get censored or you don't get there's no one to call you out on it except yeah. for people who just comment in on it. But in real life it's more difficult and I feel that it sort of contributes to the construction of our identity these days, even though it's something that's hard to actually realise because it's become so part of our lives and so part of our everyday habits that it's something that we don't realise that we do. Like, we portray ourselves so differently than the people that we actually are.
0: Yeah, that pressure is very alien to me in that I can't imagine what it's like to come of age at a time when, well, they have a term for it now, you're experiencing an attention economy in the sense that the currency... Because a lot of these apps are, air quotes, you know, quote unquote, free. Mm. So what you trade is attention, Mm. likes, shares and all that, you know, and and there's a certain pressure to be seen or to be visible in a certain way that, to me, I'm going to sound like an old uncle now. It's totally (laughs) weird. right? I just don't get it, you know. But like you said, I think this is part of the bargain of entering like the brave new world of digital information. You get all sorts of news and all sorts of like reading material like you said, but the bargain is we have double lives as avatars as well, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Like when you meet someone new and you add them on Facebook, what do you do? You stalk them and you find <laughs> out like what what do they have in common? What do you like? You know, this it's like second nature. I don't know if you guys yeah. do this,
2: but you
1: know, <laughs> oh, I do, <laughs> I do. <laughs>
2: And I think it makes socializing so much harder because when you meet someone new, you want to actually just talk to them and say like, oh, what do you like to do or where do you like to go? But you already know all these things like, <laughs> behind your head like, oh, I already know like which picture you like, what kind of things you like, what kind of things you like, kind of things you like to do. Yeah. So it's just kind of weird because you have all these things playing in your head and it contributes to why I think a lot of people now overthink a lot, mm, especially, when just, they, yeah. Yeah, especially when they want to do things. or It's just all these things that are playing in our head all the time because of information that we get so easily. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And when you meet
1: someone, you're always like, oh, I saw it on your Insta the other day, you know, you were doing this, <laughs> how was it? You know? So it's like, it's like, this information overload, yeah. of, you know, sometimes it's not great, sometimes, you know, you feel bad about yourself, you're not there. So it's, it's just a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think
2: it's kind of sad because I decided to go on a social media cleanse after being on it for so long. And the thing is, I was on social media for like a really long time, but The minute I got off, I got a lot of people messaging me and saying like, oh, are you okay? I haven't seen you in so long. (laughs) And I said like, oh, okay, but you can just like come up and meet me or like say that you want to meet up or something. But I feel like this is how we see each other every day. That's how we keep connected with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of adults around my age or older even get hooked onto the platforms as well. And it's addictive in a sense where, you know, being away from your phone for a few hours is like losing an arm or something, you know. You don't feel like fully yourself. And that's something even I experience. But I think the interesting thing about the coming generations is that they're going to have an existence where they've never experienced what a digital lust world Mm. is like, you know. Uh, Whereas for me, I think I benefit from the hindsight of like knowing what, Childhood was like what, you know, being a teenager was like without that attention economy. Right? So I can kind of like, well, I actually am on a social media detox as well. <laughs> and I'm actually enjoying it. But and it kind of just returns me to this time when I just had more space to get lost. You know, yeah. and sometimes it's quite liberating to have that option. Okay, let's take a pause right now. and We'll come back to the second part of the discussion where we're talking about generation crisis, how millennials are coping with rapidly changing world and how to unpack some of the misconceptions around this generation that's, you know, all at once puzzling for the new digital lifestyles they have, but also hopeful because you're exposed to the world way more than any generation before. I'm Ahmad Farahmat, alongside me, Mystica Idris and Yvonne Tan, and this is Night School on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, I'm Ahmad Fort You're listening to Night School. I am with Yvonne Tan and Mystika Idris today. Both students at the University of Nottingham Seminyi Campus. Yvonne is a third-year lit student. mystika is a second-year IR student. We're talking about generation crisis, looking to the future via millennial lenses amidst very precarious but exciting times. In the first part of the show, we talk about the brave new world that you're socializing in with technology, with the intense flow information. And I want to extend that discussion by talking about activism because millennials, being more aware, are more demanding and socialize in a more rapid world, supposedly, quote-unquote, impatient. So isn't that a good thing, though, that millennials... Like I grant you that SJWs can be very, very nitpicky, but that shows, at the same time, awareness. So how do you make sense of that? Like, on one hand, there's a lot of activism, but on the other side, too, there's a lot of, like crude mock mentality as well, right? Conforming to certain ways of speaking and certain ways of using words and whatnot. So help us make sense of it.
1: In a Malaysian context, I feel like SJW doesn't really apply because you know when we're really dissatisfied with Malaysia, what do my friends do? We we just go overseas. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's just this brain drain, you know, effect. So we, we just kinda like give up hope to entirely on Malaysia and just focus, you know, on these new pastures and new lands. So I don't know, like um, with Malaysia I feel like there's still quite a lot of political apathy, especially among youths. It is what it is, and we don't really demand, you know, all these little issues because I feel that, you know, for us it's just like it's not really relevant and it's just, it happens elsewhere on Tumblr.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll actually have to disagree with you on that because I've actually met a lot of people who are really young in age and who care about a lot of things passionately and I feel like when we are sort of awakened consciously to new issues that arise and we can either choose to be ignorant about it. Like you said, we can just choose to go to another country and choose to ignore everything that happens in our own country. Or there's people who actually want to care about the issues and want to do something about it. So I feel like there are two spectrums of the sides and maybe the people who do stay. <laughs> <laughs> actually, like I feel like the youth want to care. It's just that it's the platforms that they're looking for in order to express this sort of sentiment.
0: Yeah, because communication has made it easier. Information has come a lot faster. So I think being heard is is just more convenient now, right? Because you can post stuff on Facebook, you can tweet. And I think people would, I think, more likely take advantage of that space, right? Well, I guess I would take kind of a middle view in the sense where I feel that at least the SJW stuff that we talk about like in terms of the political rhetoric and terms that maybe we bring from Western discourse you can sense they're more relevant for the urban liberal sphere, maybe an English-speaking sphere. But because Malaysia is so culturally complex, I don't necessarily see that the Malay-speaking sphere take on that sort of identity, you know, so much. Maybe I'm not paying attention, but that's my perception that it's there, but... I wonder how significant it is or how much you can say that it's a nationwide thing, you know?
1: I agree with you because I feel that, like, you know, in KL, it's completely different from, let's say, you know, a small little campo in Kelantan or Johor. So it's like, you know, we can't really, like, millennial is such a a big, overarching term, you know, that encompasses, like, the whole world, all the youths of the world. And of course, there's going to be differences and cultural differences. And mostly what we're talking about is on the internet. But what about those people, you know, who just want to get a job and just can't?
0: Yeah. On that point too, I wonder about the sense of future that you have because I was around your age in the 90s and in Malaysia, in the 90s, it was like the promised land or something, right? KLCC was just being built, putrajaya was just being built and you sense that flying cars are coming in 10 years, right? <laughs> and in 20 years, we can all go to the moon for holidays. I mean, there was really that sort of enthusiasm and optimism, right? The IT industry was developing, right? And you felt that, It can only go forward, right? But I think the tenor has changed now. And with the refugee crisis, global warming, economic inequality, there are doubts. And that's why you have people like Duterte and Trump, right? They know how to speak to those fears. Now, what can you say about how, you know, your generation, I know we're going to have to generalize a bit, but your peers, maybe from your experience, like, how do they process the uncertainties future-wise?
1: When I was a kid, also I was very excited about Malaysia with Wawasan Twenty Twenty. I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna get flying cars and you know trains, and it's gonna be like Singapore or, or better." Yeah, but then like last year or this year, they're like, "Oh no, it's gonna be TN 50 So that hit me. I was a twenty-one year old, just yeah. you like you still
2: have time though. I, I can't say about
0: myself, but yeah, you might see something. Yeah,
2: yeah. I feel like in general, uncertainty scares a lot of people. And I feel that now more than ever, there's so much pessimism in the world that there's so much hate and there's so much greed that it creates so much inequality that it's so hard to actually look at and so hard to actually deal with. But at the same time, in a way, it creates more opportunity for us to tackle things in our own way. And I feel like the generation now, we're doing things a lot more differently. For example, we we think of things that are more creative and innovative, so it's not exactly that... We want to just find a job that, you know, 9 to 5 or things like that. It's things that we want to tackle issues such as even the refugee crisis. There's so many NGOs that exist now because of young people who actually want to tackle the problem in an effective way, such as I think there's one social entrepreneurship called the Pitcher Project. And they've done a lot of work and they're just university students. So I feel like there's so much more opportunity now because we can actually make our own opportunities. So in that way, I feel like there's a lot of pessimism, but... In it, there's a lot of opportunities.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, I'm quite surprised, like, recently that there's quite a lot of youth. Driven projects, you know, yeah, with social entrepreneurship, especially in Puchajaya, <laughs> and, you know, just in the Tusha with Imagine Malaysia and all these people around who actually want to empower youths. And I guess there's a lot more platforms right now and a lot more like emphasis on how, what the youths can do, especially with the UK elections, if I can just sure, reference sure, to that. Yeah. Everyone thought, you know, the Labour Party with the snap elections that the Conservative Party would just surely win, but it was because of the youths who went out and voted for Labour. this it's going to sound like I really support Labour, but (laughs) yeah, and and just really resonated with that. They actually made up to make sure that the Conservative government didn't have, you know, the whole majority. And so, yeah, the... Basically, I feel that now in in this era, we realise that youths can actually do something compared to previously in previous generations.
2: I do feel like now more than ever, we are feeling more empowered to feel like we do have a place in society to actually make an impact, make a change. For example, even the elections that are coming up, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, the youths are not going to vote, they're not even going to register to vote. But I feel like when we see it coming, we'll see a change in the way that youths will be more empowered to actually take step step and be more proactive in anything that occurs in Malaysia even
0: yeah I think that's a very very important clarification to put out there because you're not just complaining you're actually doing stuff yeah. right I think that part isn't necessarily acknowledged and when it's when it is it's often like cynical that they are not really doing anything they're just SJWs you know but I think the examples you give show that you know people are actually taking time out starting stuff and trying to change stuff right I think that's a very important reminder for people yeah and I think you're right, too, in that if you look at major turning points in world history, like the Second World War or the First World War, First World War was actually very, very terrible. But the Second World War, i just use that example. <laughs> that was bad, too, but there's some redeeming things about it. But in that a lot of the people at the front lines were young. You know, a lot of people that defeated fascism were like 1917 to like 25, right? And sometimes crisis brings out the best in us and mm. we forget that, you know, because you see what's at stake. Right. whereas in my time, actually, there were barely any activists. I mean, it was, if you were an activist, you would have, like, had to look for them. You know, it wasn't this <laughs> thing that just pops up in your feed, you know, and the activists at that time, the ones, my seniors, who I speak to, talk about passing leaflets at street corners, about their forum, and if, like, 10 people show up it's like a big deal because <laughs> 10 random strangers they passed a leaflet to decided to show up you know here I think we can just set a Facebook event page yeah. and blast it to our friends you know and all this to say that I think that part of millennial life isn't necessarily acknowledged that you are actually extending your time and effort to create things you know?
1: Definitely, I feel that now we feel we have to know about politics a little bit as a, as a citizen, which I don't think, you know, my parents really really feel that that need to to know. And yeah, like if you, like talking about the older activists, they really had to live that lifestyle. They really have to commit and really make yeah. themselves look like they're different. But now it's just like, yeah, anyone can be interested in LGBT issues, in feminist issues, which is something that, you know, is kind of like normalised, which is a great thing, actually. So
0: Yeah, but let me be the devil's advocate for a bit in that on one hand, you have this new world of interconnection, but on the other hand, we still have our bubbles, right? And in some ways, Facebook is designed to make sure you feel good around your bubbles, like the same people liking your page. Your profile or your post will appear on their feeds, right? They're trying to create a loop where you feel familiar at the same time as you feel global, right? So tell me about the bubbles that exist within your generation because i know that you know nothing in seminary is its own identity <laughs> but you have a lot of you know religious appeal among young young malaysians as well you know whether they're like church-going pj subang types or like the new in inshallah and bangi right so there are a lot of bubbles you know so tell us a little bit about the bubbles that exist you know despite the fact that you're more hyper connected
1: no i wouldn't say so because like even on facebook you know like I have this friend who who likes like conservative memes for, I don't know, they have this weird name. And so you just kind of, I think with, especially with the whole Trump election, a lot of people they were saying that, oh, everything else is fake news except those which you know support Trump. So in that sense, you know, internet also feeds your political biasness even more and you feel even more empowered to believe in certain things than actually having an open discourse with a lot of people. And yeah, I would say, you know, as someone who lives in KL, I have a specific kind of friends and they have a specific kind of background. Yeah, no, even though despite the fact that I were more interconnected on the internet, there's still like this sort of alienation that exists. And in fact, sometimes the internet just boosts it.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I feel like it does put us into categories and it does keep us in a certain bubble, especially if we subscribe to a certain form of news or if we subscribe or follow a certain type of people. And I feel like we get influenced by the way that they think and the way like what they say becomes very important even if it's just a 140-word character tweet. So I feel like everything becomes important and I feel like it's also something that can be used controversially because people nowadays, they use things to get likes and they use things to get retweeted or shared and I feel like it becomes a platform for people to voice out on controversial issues but not necessarily for the good outcome but for more of being in this bubble of having to be Mm recognised by society as a whole.
0: So concluding thoughts for listeners, you know, people trying to make sense of your generation in light of what's happening around the world.
2: I think when people view our generation, it's something that is so alien and so complicated to view because we have all these different elements to us and we're all so different in our way. And I feel like these days, we are more able to show our personality and more able to embrace our identities But at the same time, I feel in the way youths nowadays have to be really careful in the way that they can't be naive with the world, they can't be ignorant with the world. So in the way that people view millennials, as I was saying just now with an eye roll, it's something that is connected to a negative connotation. And I feel that's not a good thing because youths these days, I mean, we are the future, of course, but we are actually trying to do something about it. And it's not always what is appearing on social media or what is appearing on platforms such as these, but it is an actual movement of youth and millennials who want to make a difference.
1: Yeah, like I just feel that, you know, millennials everything is heightened, you know, like you said. With all these problems and this economy that we live in, everything is heightened, everything is on this open platform and sometimes we get misjudged on this open platform and so there's just all this noise, but at the end of the day, you know, youths are the future and that we can actually do something and reclaim and use the platform for good. So
0: So on that note, like tell me about your platforms. I know you have students in resistance.
1: Yeah, it's a radical zine. Um, Basically, we started when there was a lot of controversies and all the journal sites were closing down. And so we decided, you know what, let's just build from the ground up and create our own platform to write our own thoughts. So yeah, so basically, that's what we're trying to do. Follow us on Facebook, Students in Resistance. Okay,
0: look that up. Do you want to plug any projects or anything you're involved in or any... Any interesting stuff that you think people should know that young people are working on? Pitcher Project was one, I think.
2: Yeah, Pitcher Project was one, and I heard about them when I was interning for UNHCR, and after I interned with them, I got to know a group of young people who were working on the issue of statelessness. And when we approached this issue, we didn't actually think that it was such a large issue in Malaysia, like affecting so many people. But when we got to know about it and we got to meet the people who were actually affected by this and affected by the fact that law making in Malaysia is so ineffective that people who were born in Malaysia can't even get citizenship. So... Right now, a group of young people and I were working on promoting statelessness and promoting awareness on statelessness because it's not just an issue that is in the back seat anymore because it's a human rights issue in Malaysia. And I feel like young people nowadays feel that when they have to approach a human rights issue, they have to go to Cambodia or to another country. (laughs) And I feel like that's, that's so ridiculous because there's so many things going on right now in Malaysia itself. There's so many issues to confront.
0: And tell us a little bit about the stuff you're reading. you know, uh, just want to know what ideas you're digesting at this point.
1: So I would recommend Stuart Hall's uh, Resistance Through Rituals, uh, youth subcultures in post-war Britain. Do not let that title intimidate you. It's basically just about the countercultures in the 1960s. Think John Lennon and Yoko Ono, the hippies, mods, punks. And basically it was a time where resistance was really taken upon by the youths yeah. to just say like, you know, I want to change. You know, it was right after the war and when the war ended and they just wanted to take things into their own hands and just reconsider family and all these other social issues. And yeah, so it was, it's a great read to just realise that there was this time where youths were really making a statement and really making these little countercultures.
0: And the same 19-year-olds from that time are like 50 now and they're complaining about you guys. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. How about you? The Communist Manifesto, just kidding. <laughs> oh my god! That's fun too. <laughs> um, why Nations Fail. And I think as an IR student, it was an interesting read because it depicts a picture of inequality and not just inequality, but... Why inequality happens and it's not just geographical or political. It's, there's so many nuances that come into play when we talk about inequality. And I feel like this book is really good at addressing that. Okay, wonderful.
0: Now are you on Twitter or you you have platforms you want to plug? Like, you know, our listeners can reach you directly.
2: Facebook. Facebook uh, students in resistance. Okay. <laughs> You can reach me on Facebook, Twitter, and okay. <laughs> Instagram.
0: <laughs> All right, so then just Google Mystica address before yeah, you find sure. it. Sure. Right, okay, sure. Or you can email the show, bfmnightschool at gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook as well. Type Night School on the search space. Be sure to download our app too. That's at Google Play and the Apple App Store. And Thanks a lot, Yvonne. Thanks a lot, Mystica, for sharing your thoughts. And maybe we'll have you on the show again to talk about other stuff and continue the conversation. I know it's not going to be... A subject that's going to be resolved soon. People always want insights on what you are thinking and feeling. So we appreciate your time. I'm Ahmad Far Rahmat, and this is Night School on BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty nine point nine, The Business Station.